Hi, welcome to another episode of Sports Doc Sports. Today is going to be another solo episode. I'm going to talk about vitamin D and its importance in our lives, how it affects us at all levels of age, but also in the athlete and also in the non-athlete. So vitamin D, you walk into your pharmacy, your grocery store, you see the supplements, vitamin D2 or vitamin D3. It's confusing. What do I take? But we're going to go through that today. The main thing we're going to point out today is how important it can be in your health. And so I think it's important that we all know what our vitamins are that we take and why we take them, what's the benefit of taking them, and what's the deleterious or bad effects of not having a vitamin D level that's appropriate. So when you're walking down and you're looking at your vitamins and you wonder why you take them, it's important. And I think now, especially in with COVID, um, I'm going to point out some studies that say that vitamin D does have actually a positive effect, which I'll point out from the studies, that we do know why we take it. And then also, let's say our parents or who are in elderly age, why they should take it. So with no further ado, Vitamin D2, also called ergocalciferol, or vitamin D3, cholecalciferol. You'll see those on the shelves or if you order online. Vitamin D and its metabolites, or its breakdown products, their clinical role is a relationship between the calcium and bone metabolism. Your body needs vitamin D in order, in order to absorb calcium. And as you know, calcium is important in muscular contraction, but also in bone development. So in children who have low levels... You, you don't really see it in America, but there's a syndrome called rickets, which is basically a, a defect in bone growth in children. Um, in adults, it's osteomalacia, which there's osteomalacia and osteoporosis, both disorders of the bone in elderly. Osteomalacia is more like this ability to have calcium in your bone, and it's usually due to a severe deficiency which is really uncommon in America, probably because uh, most people in uh, are in America, what they eat is usually fortified with vitamin D, as well with kids, or somebody you might see who's not a, around the sun, maybe an inst- institutionalized person, or someone in a nursing home, or someone who has a malabsorption or a problem with absorbing vitamin D in the gut, which I'll tell you. Um, other conditions that would be associated with that. There's subclinical or mildly low vitamin D levels associated with low calcium, and that may contribute to osteoporosis or increasing fractures, especially when some of the older adults, they fall and they'll have a, a higher incidence of fractures, particularly in the nursing homes or the adult living facilities or even elderly people living in the house. So the levels we measure on nanograms per milliliter so anything less than 12 is considered pretty severe it's associated with low calcium softer bones or osteomalacia and usually will supplement with about 50,000 units of vitamin d for about six weeks so once a day for six weeks maybe eight weeks and then we'll decrease it to 800 international units per day levels between 12 and 20 
supplement 800 to 1,000 units per day, and a level between 20 and 30, roughly six to 800 units per day. So people who have malabsorption or someone who's had previous surgery in their stomach or part of their intestine will recommend either 10,000 international units to 50,000 international units per day, possibly to make up for that loss of surface area in the gut. Pregnant women should be at least 20 nanograms per milliliter dosage, I mean, uh, level, and that would be about 400 international units per day, which is recommended by the American College of Gynecologists. People who have chronic kidney disease or kidney insufficiency, they have a decreased ability to produce vitamin K, and then they'll also have a low calcium level. People who um, have this problem with the previous surgery in their abdomen, we give them a large dose, but also we will ask them to increase their sun or sun lamp exposure depending on time of year or where they live. So healthy adults, starting with vitamin D supplements, usually anywhere between 600 to 800 international units daily. You do not need to require any follow-up levels or blood work to see where their level is. That's enough to sustain them. Those on specific prescriptions for low levels will require follow-up labs, and usually we'll do that within three or four months of supplementation. But the recommended U.S. experts is 600 to 800 international units of vitamin D per day. So the vitamin D metabolites, that's a breakdown product. Uh, Calcitrol, it's used for people with liver disease um, and... uh, the problem is that when someone has underlying liver disease, they can't break it down and hydroxylate it in order for it to be absorbed. So there's a, also a problem with people who have fat malabsorption in the gut also have a difficulty absorbing it because vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. All patients or or people, I recommend my patients or, or, or other athletes, that they have a uh, diet that's high in vitamin D or supplement vitamin D, especially the older athlete, but also a calcium supplement. So if you're in the ages anywhere between 19 to 70 years of age, somehow in your diet you should have at least 1,000 milligrams of calcium as well. If you're a woman between the ages of 51 and 70, recommend 1,200 milligrams a day of of calcium as well. So there's that mutual benefit of both the vitamin D and the calcium. So let's talk about some of the benefits of vitamin D supplementation. There's skeletal benefits. So with calcium and vitamin D, there's studies in community-dwelling older adults that it helps prevent falls. So it's postulated that vitamin D may contribute to a reduction in fracture risk due to the improved muscle function and reduction in fall risk. There's the extraskeletal benefits, both the immune and the cardiovascular system. Vitamin D functions as an immune modulator, reducing the activation of an acquired immune problem. So theoretically, the increased risk of autoimmune diseases have been reported in animal models for people with low vitamin D levels. There's some observational studies in humans also that suggest the association with vitamin D deficiency in type 1 diabetes, also in multiple sclerosis, and also inflammatory bowel disease. 
again, these are just observational studies that were that I've researched. There is a large case control study, 7 million U.S. military personnel and their white American recruits with low vitamin D levels, less than 20 nanograms per milliliter, 20 nanograms per milliliter, had a twofold increased risk of developing multiple sclerosis. And that's a pretty large study. Um, another avenue of clinical findings would be asthma. It's unclear whether it has a role in prevention, but one study showed that patients aged 10 to 50, after 24 weeks of age, patients who received vitamin D had a better FEV1 or forced expiratory volume greater than one second. So their ages, I'm sorry, ages are 10 to 50, and after 24 weeks of supplementation with vitamin D. Another study was a supplement versus placebo. So placebo meaning like any type of non-medical tablet. So it could be a sugar tablet or just some type of inert substance. There's 300 black infants born premature. Supplementation with vitamin D decreased the risk of recurrent wheezing by 12 months of age. Two trials of pregnant women receiving supplementation found reduction in wheezing in children but it was minimally statistically significant. Again, I'm just reporting some studies. Let's talk about infections. And this is where we're going to the COVID where I was going to talk about. There's a hypothesis that common viral infections have a seasonal variation, meaning it would be more common in the winter because of seasonal variations in vitamin D states or, your, or there are levels of vitamin D in your body. And that could be associated between your intake your, your sun exposure. Um, there's been an association between vitamin D deficiency and tuberculosis. However, vitamin D supplement does not appear to improve clinical outcomes for treatment of TB. And there's insufficient evidence to support high-dose vitamin D to prevent any urinary tra- upper respiratory tract infections or underlying lung disease like COPD or, or emphysema from smoking. In COVID-19, vitamin D supplementation may be necessary to meet the recommended intake of 600 to 1,000 international units per day. One study showed an increased risk of positive tests um, was higher in people who had vitamin D deficiency, but there's no clear evidence that vitamin D supplement reduced the risk of severity. Until recently, there was one study Retrospective case control study showed that vitamin D insufficiency or deficiency is associated with a 2.3 to 3.6 times higher risk of COVID or SARS-CoV-2 infection requiring hospitalization. So that actually trumps the previous study. So there is some definite positives for having a a normal vitamin D level. Um, In Spain, there were 76 hospitalized COVID patients with upper respiratory infections, they were given vitamin D supplement as an oral, and fewer patients required ICU admit in the supplemental vitamin D patients with COVID. Let's talk about cardiovascular hypertension. There's no beneficial effect of vitamin D supplement in hypertension, but with cardiovascular disease or coronary disease, low serum levels of vitamin D are associated with increased risk. 
but there's no evidence that supplementing it improves the cardiovascular outcomes. So once you have it, it goes back to your being followed by your physician or your cardiologist for your coronary disease. There's been 19 studies, prospective studies, that show inverse proportion of vitamin D levels and the risk of cardiovascular disease. So low level, high risk of cardiovascular disease. There's one national health and nutritional exam survey. It said the prevalence of coronary disease was more common in adults with levels less than 20. However, supplementation did not show effect on the risk factors, which would be high blood pressure, elevated lipids, or glucose levels. Type 1 diabetes, there is an association of vitamin D deficiency with type 1 diabetics, but you can't treat your glycemic control if you're a type 1 diabetic by giving vitamin D. Type 2 diabetes is usually the adult onset um, where people do not need insulin but can take medications. Their vitamin D status is low, and it's also found that people who have obesity have a low vitamin D level as well. Uh, this all-cause mortality risk is improved with vitamin D supplementation. So across the board, your level of all-cause illness is higher if your level of vitamin D is low. Let's talk about the causes of vitamin D deficiency. Decreased intake or absorption, decreased sun exposure, uh, increased liver breakdown, or decreased synthesis. So who's at risk for that? Older persons confined indoors, people who have no sun exposure or very limited sun exposure. Dietary intake might be low in older individuals. They just don't have an appetite um, or they're not getting proper nutrition. Uh, People who take the seizure medicine, Dilantin or Phenytoin, same thing, uh, they have a decreased vitamin D level due to competition for metabolism in the liver. Also, hospitalized patients who are prolonged hospitalized or institutionalized residents. Uh, Also, those who have increased skin pigmentation, it it blocks the UV light, so they'll have less effect for the body to make vitamin D. People who are obese have less vitamin D. People with osteoporosis already have or are found to have low vitamin D, and people who have malabsorption syndromes. So, people with low vitamin Ds, we usually will measure and attempt to treat them. We'll measure their calcium level, their phosphate level, their phosphorus level, their alkaline phosphatase level, a parathyroid hormone, electrolytes, renal function, and if we suspect a gut issue like celiac disease, there's antibodies we can test for that as well. Um, and those are ways of helping to see if there's a secondary cause for vitamin D deficiency. Foods and drinks that have a high or elevated vitamin D levels, things like milk, orange juice, yogurt with vitamin D added, uh, salmon or mackerel is high in vitamin D, canned tuna fish, cereals that are fortified with vitamin D, and cod liver oil, which I don't think anybody really takes anymore, although... They do have the cod liver capsules nowadays that people take. 
I know back in the old days, my grandmother used to tell me that she used to take a tablespoon of cod liver oil every day, but those days, uh, that's not really happening anymore. So how do you, how can else can you get some vitamin D? You get some healthy sunlight, not too much. Obviously, you want to use sunblocks so you don't get exposure to excess sun and the risk factor of skin cancer. But there is some amount of sun that you need, sunlight that you need in order to help your body make vitamin D. So the overall meaning and the overall importance of vitamin D is in order to help, especially in the older population or the older athlete to maintain skeletal and muscle function, decreasing falls in the elderly. That's the takeaway, but also your ability to help decrease your cardiovascular risk as well. So as I, everyone asked me, do you take it? Yes, I take vitamin D supplement. Um, and uh, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's something that any athlete or any uh, individual should do. So with that being said, I'm going to end that on vitamin D. Thank you again for listening in. Be healthy, be safe, and stay sweet. And thanks again.